everybody, and welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast, where those comic friends of yours who help guide you through the world of comics and the film and television it spawns. I'm your host, Blaine McGaffigan, and I'm joined, as always, by Adam Le Garçon Cook. Oh, um, I can't even think of a French word to say, but, uh, you know, great to see you, Blaine. Great to see you. Garçon means boy for everybody oh, that's out right. there. Garçon means uh, boy. Yes, we are streaming today live from somewhere in northern France. This is our full episode where we cover our favorite lines, creator biographies, give out awards to our favorite art, and talk about the adaptation. Quick warning, we will be spoiling this month's comics, so proceed with caution. Adam, take it away. What did we read this month? This month we read Blue is the Warmest Color by Jules Marot which tells us the bittersweet love story between Clementine and Emma as told through the lens of Clementine's diary. Through the entries, we learn how their love brought them together and split them apart and how they each change in the process. Blaine, uh, what did you think of Blue is the Warmest Color? You know, I, I, I'm of a couple different minds, so let me let me set the stage for you. One is that it took me forever to read this comic. I think Adam read this about a month ago. And I was like, can we push our recording? Adam, can you just give me a little bit more time? And um, one of those reasons is it just took me a little bit, and I wanted to watch the film. So we're obviously going to get it into Adaptation Alley. But I just wanted to set that stage because I was a little cold on the comic itself, I think, at first. And I think as I was going through it, something about like just like the, I don't know, the 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 narration the way it starts with Clementine's death and then like the the journaling but to me I'll tell you what it really is is the way the characters looked to me were a little a tad on the cartoony side where I couldn't really I couldn't really grasp it and and really dive into the true like love feelings besides like the flowery journalings that Clem wrote mm-hmm. And then when I saw the movie, it really humanized it for me. And the movie, the actresses that played the two lead uh, characters, they changed the name of, of Clementine in, in the film. Her name's Adele. But it, it kind of put together in my head of, oh, this is what 17-year-olds in France look like and their surroundings are actually like. And and it kind of like – I felt like I kind of missed that a little bit from the comics – um, but then once I saw the film, and, and we'll talk about the film again, but all my favorite parts of it were the parts from the comic, and all the, my least favorite parts were the parts that got away from the comic. So I say that to say it made me sort of reevaluate the comic and really like understand the love story between the two leads, which is really the whole thing. It's really just about this sort of like ineffable like love that is just so strong that spans across you know time there's a time jump in it but um the the color palette was really muted which i kind of liked with the blues coming in but um yeah that was kind of my experience so it was it was kind of like you know a little cold and got a little warm you could say adam what about you i think that you pretty much described a very similar feeling that i had i really appreciated each work a lot more when i had you know consumed both of them I read the comic really fast. I think it was one day because I just was kind of in the flow. And it's just pretty quick. It's a pretty breezy read. Not a ton of stuff, you know, to bog you down story-wise or writing-wise or anything like that. Um, Yeah, and I felt the same way. Didn't have a huge connection to the art as much as I did the writing. And I don't think I really realized how much I really liked the story and the characters like you until the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which we'll we'll get to an adaptation alley, but I, I do think that they are kind of these very interesting companion pieces to each other. And yeah, I, I don't really, I had very, you know, I wouldn't say low expectations going into it. I just didn't really have any sort of frame of reference Same. with the, the graphic novel at all. Um, and even, you know, I knew that the film existed and that it had been sort of, it made a splash, but that was pretty much the extent. And yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story. I, st- I did find it a very, very intimate kind of tale yes. where it just felt incredibly personal. And something about I felt like the art kind of going through right before we jumped on today, I was, you know, just 
rolling back through, um, looking at some of the art and everything and just doing a little refresh. And I, I just thought that it does almost lend itself to this sort of personalized drawing that feels like it goes with the diary kind of aspect to it where a journal, yeah, like a journal. And it would almost feel like if, if it was a little bit more, you know, maybe detailed or less cartoony, more like humanistic, maybe it wouldn't feel as intimate that way. But, um, yeah, it, it definitely, I think, had a much bigger impression on me once I viewed the film. And I'm excited to talk about your your viewing of it. Same, same. Um, sh- should we get into it at all or should we save it for Adaptation Alley? It's the last save it all for Adaptation okay. Alley, guys. We're going to save all us. that. Sa- yeah, that gives you a reason to stay to the very end where we're going to talk about the film. One more, th- uh, something else I wanted to talk about, the comic itself and and you said it exactly is right it's narrated through a journal that um Emma is reading Clem's journal after she has passed away and so you're you're kind of going through her viewpoint back through time and she's reliving the whole thing again and whenever i you know did the research on Jules Moreau like whenever they created this they were 19 years old and it took them 5 years and i always remember you know being an English major, and I'm sure you as a as a you know film student, all the short stories that were coming out of like all the classes I was in were so personal. Where it's just like these are all literally thing that's think things that had happened, and I was really wondering how much of this is an autobiography for the creator here, where it's like these exact things kind of happen, or this person was very close, and this is the way their friends treated them when they came out, or they were found out. Like, it felt like like it like was like almost an autobiography to a, to a bit. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I, I wonder the same thing. And I, I do think that there's probably a lot of things in here that I would imagine, you know, not being... Uh, a gay person that there's a lot of people that can relate to these sorts of experience, like as the gay, as coming out experience, Mm -hmm. the entire just like range of emotions, everything that goes along with that on top of, you know, also just being a sort of teenager who's learning their way in the world. I think there are a lot of things that are kind of speak to universal experiences in a way, these moments like, when she's sort of getting called out by like her classmates and like she yes. realizes that her friends aren't really her friends. Um, that stuff is heartbreaking and, and you can just kind of relate to it. Even if you haven't experienced that exact sort of situation, there's just something so universal to that. And just so, so heartbreaking and true. Yeah. And it's like the moving away from friends, you know, after that scene, we never see those friends again, specifically like the girls that she was hanging out with. I think we see Valentin again, or Valentine, whatever you say his name. And Yeah, it's just that thing where we move on through the world, you know, where we graduate school and we kind of move on. But having one of these heartbreaking moments where your friends look back on all their time with you and think that you were a liar or you were being inauthentic to who you were because you didn't come out to them or you were hiding something when Clementine in the book is figuring it out and she doesn't know it herself and she needs support then more than ever. And that is just like brutal to see. And yeah, I'm sure that's happened. And, you know, you can even identify with it, you know, in our own lives, the way friends respond to secrets or just the way we act and the way we treat people. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that there are things like that and and different things, definitely some things I think with like parental acceptance um, of your life, your lifestyle uh, that I, I think speak to a lot of different, you know, kind of experiences. And so in that regard, I found it like very relatable and then also sort of um, just very interesting. And, and I thought that, yeah, it probably was personal to an extent, but maybe it was also just kind of some universal stories. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Let me ask you this. What did you think of the narrative device of kind of, you know, we've talked about it, of Emma revisiting the house of the parents who basically have not accepted her and reading Clementine's journals? And, you know, this is kind of a structure that's, you know, like I think Wes Anderson does stuff like that, um, where you're kind of like rereading what has already happened. Oh, Mouse is kind of like that, right? Where he's interviewing his father and his father's describing the book. That was the first comic club um, 
episode that we right. did on mouse. Yeah. Well, what do you think of sort of that structure where it's kind of the writing overlaying the past? Well, I like it. I think it works really well kind of as a framing device and it just allows you to provide kind of commentary on the character's emotions and really just give you a direct, you know, sort of pipeline into what the character is thinking because they can just tell you right then. I was sad that day or, you know, my life changed that day. Something like that that you sometimes just want to say and you can't sort of say so plainly. But when it's as a diary, you can. You can just be sort of very blunt about this. And then I think that it also adds a really interesting dimension too because not only are it's like we're experiencing this diary at the same time that Emma is, right? And so you're really seeing this story through Emma who's seeing it through Clementine's retelling of it. So it kind of adds another layer to it. um, And just, you know, I think it makes it, it makes you even connect more to, uh, to Emma a lot more because you see how she's now having to process this. She's seeing how she hurt Clementine at times and, you know, how she made her happy at times too. And it's just kind of like, I think it works pretty well, essentially. You know, that's really a great point. I didn't think about it that way where it's, it's Emma discovering the other person's feelings throughout a whole relationship. I, I didn't think deeply about it, but they almost didn't explore that enough. There wasn't enough of Emma actually reading it and responding to it and talking about it or thinking about it. You know, there there was some of those, but I yeah. would have liked to almost even see some more of that because just discoveries. Oh, I didn't realize that that's how it actually happened. I always assumed that they were cheating way longer or what, whatever these discoveries actually were. I think that is that's really interesting. Um, all right, I have another question to ask you. This might get a little personal, Adam. So, you know, we we might have all, you know, we've all been in relationships. We might have been over at a at a partner's house before and, you know, went went to the bedroom with our partner and maybe kissed, maybe fooled around, who knows what we did. But Adam, would you ever go downstairs to go get milk naked <laughs> at your partner's or girlfriend's or boyfriend's house? Is that something that you would do in your world? I I'm so glad that you brought this up because I just, when I was scrolling through this, I stopped on that part and I thought, that's right. So just for the readers who, who (laughs) didn't read this at all, um, for the listeners who didn't read this at all, basically there's a moment where Clementine takes Emma back to her house and they're staying with her parents, but she has told that her, she's told her parents that Emma is her tutor, her like philosophy tutor or something. Friend. Her friend. And, um, and then later at, later that night, they're fooling around, they're naked. Emma decides to just get out of bed and walk downstairs to get some milk, totally yeah. naked. And she gets caught by the mom who the didn't mother, yeah. the mother who didn't even know that Clementine, you know, was interested in women. And they get they both get caught. Clementine gets kicked out of the house. It's a whole huge ordeal. Crazy and, scene. And the answer is no, I would not be walking naked at, you know, at my lover's parents' yeah. house who doesn't even come on, have some have some awareness, know the situation, people. No, you know the situation and I mean like that that was one that kind of took me out because I got confused because all of a sudden she was like I'm going to go get some milk. And I assume they were back at her house because who would go get milk naked not in your own home? I don't care who you are. If you're going to go walk through a home naked, it better be your own home. And Nobody else's. Okay, I get it. They're French. They're cool. They're uninhibited. Like, yeah, yes. it's just a body. <laughs> right. But no, no one is that cool just walking around no. naked. This isn't a nudist colony, people. <laughs> and and follow up, you know, this is a little bit lighter. Um, Emma, she's getting milk. Whenever they're at the bar, the gay bar, in the first, you know, the first meeting, she orders strawberry milk at the bar. What is that? Yeah. Is that like a, is that like a European thing? Because I I think what that brought me back to was um, Clockwork Orange. Remember when they're drinking milk? milk, They they drink, yeah, they're at a milk bar. I was like, is that a thing? Do people order milk at a bar? Clockwork Orange. Okay, Zelda Lon Lon Ranch Milk Bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a place in Los Angeles that does ice cream called Milk Bar. I don't know. Interesting. But uh, milk bars are real, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. At first I was like, 
maybe a strawberry milk is like some kind of a drink that's like a pink that's drink. That's what I thought. That, that's what okay. I thought. So if if you're French or from, you know, Brussels, I think is right next door if that's the thing. If anyone has you know, some hit insight, us because we yeah, want to let know. us know. Or if you're just like a an international like mixologist or something and you know about that cocktail. That, if you can verify that. <laughs> that's right. And then lastly, this is kind of another question I just wanted to throw your way because I get whenever there's cheating going on mm. in a story, it really makes me feel not fully empathetic to the characters. Because for the beginning of majority of their relationship. No, the whole beginning of it. Emma has a partner with Sabine and she is cheating with Clementine. They are they are having sex and we we're fully bought in because we're only seeing it from Clementine's point of view that they're in love and this is all love and and all of this. It goes on for it seems like months in the book where she's cheating. And then later Clementine cheats, and then Emma kicks her out of the house. And, and and where do you sit kind of on that? Did that sort of like prickle against you whenever you were reading it? Because I have this problem, again, I think of it a lot in The Great Gatsby, right? We're rooting for Gatsby, but at the end of the day, he's, you know, he's starting an affair. Yeah, he's, he's the one breaking that, up you know, a marriage. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he's breaking up a marriage. And, and it's like, it's like, when the point of view person, you always want to empathize with them because it's love. But at the end of the day, it's cheating. And it's like, I, I just never like that. That's really interesting. And I think that's something that they never really reckon with. That's a really good point is that, you know, they were essentially cheating early on. And then Emma you know, kicks Clementine out for the very same thing that she was doing. And there's no, yeah. no address of that situation at all. Um, and it's really interesting and they don't even really like address it when they get back together, like later on in the story, when they finally kind of get back together briefly, I guess there's no time to really bring it up, but it's something that it just kind of seems completely unresolved, much more resolved in the movie, obviously. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. I, I still think that a character, you know. That can just that can be part of it. I think you could learn from that, where you be able to use it a little more, um, maybe tactfully to sort of say something because it, it does kind of now that now that you mention it, it sort of has me thinking that it's just is a one of the sort of unresolved threads of the of the story. Yeah, I I mean it doesn't. I'm not saying that that Emma cheating with Clementine makes. Clementine cheating later on, okay, right? No, what, what, what I'm, what I'm just, I, and, and yeah, and, but I'm, I'm just, I just think that whenever you're rooting for a protagonist who is falling in love and having a relationship, whenever that relationship is an affair, it always rubs me the wrong way. It, it just always like it. I, I always kind of prickle against it, and I'm like, you need to wait. You need if you if you're in love, that person should break up with their partner before y'all do anything. It's like, what, I did, always, what did Sabine do? Why exactly. She didn't I, I feel that. for Sabine, right? I feel for the off-screen character. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's who I start to like have empathy for, but that's not who the author wants me to have empathy for. And and it, this happens all the time, but like this is in tons of movies and stuff by the way. Like this is this is a very common thing because you naturally have empathy for the point of view character, but then whenever that happens, it always takes me out and I always think about the other person. So pure of heart, Blaine. That's right. That is right. Let's move it on over. We got a little serious. Let's get into the best lines and use this as a way to talk more about the book. This is the section of the show where we showcase the written word and highlight our favorite moments of dialogue, exposition, and more. Adam, kick it off with your first best line. All right. My first best line happened really early on. This is, you know, one of the first pages in the book. And uh, this is from Clementine's diary. And she says, I want you to be the one to keep them. All of my adolescent memories are in the blue one. Dark blue, sky blue, azure, merry blue, klein blue, cyan, ultramarine. Blue has become the warmest color. Title line, I just thought that was a nice little piece of writing, very poetic. I love the different shades of blue that she chose. It's a very nice palette that she chose. And, um, you know, I think that's a nice, like, tie-in for 
or choice for the not the title, I guess, really how she chose it and why it makes sense in this context and everything. Yeah. And I mean, talking about the color, Adam, like what, I mean, what do you think that sort of means? And what do you think this sort of like, as color symbology sort of means with the blue th- sort of throughout this? How, how did you kind of interpret that? Well, I think that that's, it's sort of like a play on the idea that in color palette, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but blue is actually, it's a cool tone. It's not a warm cool tone. Cool color. That's right. And in this instance, she's playing against that because all of her like fondest memories are in the blue journals. And um, so it's become the warmest color. That's right. And um, as the color progressed through this, there was a moment that I really liked um, where a lot of her adolescence is the gray tones throughout this book, right? And then there is a 10-year jump, or I think whenever her parents kick her out, I'm not exactly sure when it is. 13. And more and more more color starts to seep into the comic. You start seeing different tones, different things. And it's like her her worldview as she comes of age starts to just coalesce more and she starts to understand more about who she is and what's around her. And I thought that sort of like the color, the way the colors were used was really sharp. And I really love that. And obviously um, Emma's blue hair and blue eyes throughout this were very striking. Yeah. And I think it's also just to put a little bow on this package. um, It's also a little reference to sort of Picasso, his blue period, and sort oh, of like yeah, the different that, phases, I think, of one's life can be sort of like marked by maybe in this instance a color or something, some some kind of visual representation. So oh, I love that big tie-in because you know they're an art student and all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, here's one one more thing to take us down a, a, a weird path. You know, the film, I think they talk about it a lot, but in this as well, she's like a French lit major. And the way they talk about philosophy and art is just like, that is not what me and my friends were talking about art and philosophy when we were in high school and college. I don't know if that's just like common of like French people, but I I think it is. Like, like it was really sort of impressive, the like the maturity that they were speaking in. Yeah, it's like they and the fondness that this is more in the in the movie, but the fondness that she has for her teachers and just sort of the act of learning and and you know teaching someone else, passing on knowledge. She has great reverence for it, um, and it is a very like everyone seems very mature in this. I bet I bet yeah. like that high school Wes Anderson would love that high school man. He would love that. And I saw this, I saw this maybe like in an email. It was something for this um, newsletter writer that I follow. And it was like, he flew to France recently and he was comparing the front of bookshops in America and France. And in America, he's like, you have crazy, intense, colorful covers that have like really intense like titles. And then in France, it's all just like boring drab like philosophy and like they have a reverence for that stuff so like america was like the new uh, dan brown novel and it was like killing time and like all these like deaths she wrote you know all these like crazy like titles with like a knife on it with like blood dripping down and stuff and then and then in france it was just like sat like it was like yeah. Kant, like all these like you know uh books like that and it's like man they they really uh you know respect uh Respect the old philosophy, guys. They respect the classics. Um, All right, my first best line. This is whenever, it is one of those moments whenever Emma is back and she's speaking with Clementine's mother and just kind of having a heartfelt moment. And I don't think Emma's mother truly understands, but one of Clementine's last wishes was to give Emma that blue notebook. So she's speaking to her. And she's like, sorry, my husband doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't really fully still accept that this is a thing. And Emma says, just tell him that if I had been a guy, Clem would have fallen in love with me anyway. And the mother was like, huh? <laughs> like, like this weird, like sort of shocked expression. And it's just kind of like, it's this feeling of like, some people will just never truly understand. And the only way they will be able to understand is put it in their terms, which is straight, I guess, like heteronormative, you know, like, like if love, it was just love. 
And the way, only way you'll understand it is just pretend that I was a guy. Like, like if I was a guy, this is just, we were meant to be. That's all he needs to know. And I just thought that was like, it was kind of sharp. It was kind of interesting. And it's just like, I, that's how you get through to people. I don't know. So cool, cool line. I think sometimes, yeah, I, I love that one. I almost chose that one myself. And I think sometimes you do need that sort of bluntness to make your point when they aren't listening to the hints or even the, you know, what you're telling them, you have to get real. And um, yeah, I love that quote. And I think it speaks really to the idea of the phrase soulmates, right? It's like, it's about your soul and you just, you have a connection. The body's, you know, the gender that doesn't matter because you're in love with the the soul, basically the person. And I love that. I, that um, I love that quote and that part of it. Okay. My next one. Towards the very end, last page, uh, this is from the journal. Clementine says, Emma, you asked me if I believed in eternal love. Love is something way too abstract and indefinable. It depends on what we perceive and what we experience. If we don't exist, it doesn't exist. And we change so much, love must change as well. I mean, this is like, I, I thought towards the end, her writing was just like dialing it up to 11. It was hitting on all levels, like all of her themes were starting to come together and just this idea of, you know, kind of love changing people and you having to change, you know, because of the love um, is just an incredible concept. And I think it's, you know, one of these sort of universal messages. Yeah, th those, I had all those first and last pages marked because they really sort of wrapped up a lot of the thematic elements of the book. And um, beautifully written too. Like yeah. you said, like just really sort of like encapsulate these words that, you know, you don't always say outwardly, but you can write to yourself in a journal, right? Sometimes to yourself, you are the most sort of vulnerable and sort of intimate and you can say things that you would never even say out loud. So I love that. Um, okay. My next one, it is whenever... I believe she, uh, Clementine is broken up at this point, and she is finally like she was. She was a little sad for a while, and then there's a moment where she finds her groove, and she is a little bit happy, and she kind of hangs out with some friends. There's some there's some boyfriends, and then there's a girl, and they're all playing foosball. It looks like they're in a dorm um, of some college campus or something, and she's playing foosball, and she says this to herself, uh, just thought bubble actually. Hey. Am I cliche? The lesbian who plays football with her guy friends? Ah, screw it. I'm happy. And that's just one of these things where whenever you are kind of, you know, if you're gay or you are an outsider, you are sort of a, you know, a minority of some kind, even being happy, you're sort of still having to justify it to yourself. You're still having to, to like question yourself and say, you know, am I being a cliche? Is this, is this like, is this a joke or no? Why, why can't I just be happy? And is that okay? And I even ran across this recently at work. Um, I was doing a, I was interviewing some, some people, the queer community for our pride content and pride work that we were doing. We were telling some of our stories and it was really, really cool experience. And this one girl was like, "Yeah, I met my girl. I met my current partner, my girlfriend at at softball." And so, you know, just like the cliche thing, and it was just like kind of this like tongue in cheek, slightly embarrassed that it is a cliche. But at the end of the day, it's like I'm happy. Like I don't have to justify it. Who gives a shit that it's cliche? This is who I am, and I love that. And it's just like if we can just push past that and not give a shit about the cliches, then that would all be better. It would all be better. We got. We gotta just embrace the cliches, everyone. That's right. I mean, Adam's got a mustache right now. You know, he's a he. He just he just got back from Top Gun Maverick over here. You Thank know. you. That's exactly <laughs> what this is for. This is my Top Gun. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to start short mustaches as a trend. Everyone, short. get on it. We're doing Top Gun mustaches, y'all. <laughs> just just the classic the classic hipster cliche. You know, nice it's okay. Embrace it. <laughs> Okay. I, I think Miles Teller started it actually. Yeah, Miles Teller. Well, he started he started it, but like I'm going to make it a thing. Okay, got this it. This is got a it. tribute to Miles Teller. It's really it's Goose if anyone started it. 
Goose. Is Goose. You're right. Yeah, the short mustache. Yeah, but uh, just a just a good, not a good look, but it's fun. I like it. Okay, my last one. Let's shift gears. Go back into serious mode because this is on the last page. I split up the last page because it's so good. Again, in the journal entry from Clementine, she says, Love catches fire. It trespasses. It breaks. We break. It comes back to life. We come back to life. Love may not be eternal, but it can make us eternal. Beyond death, the love that we shared continues to live. Boom. I love that. That's how you freaking end a graphic novel. That's yeah, that's great writing. Just an incredible... Uh, commentary on love and it's you know it's this feeling that so many people if if you're lucky you've experienced it and it can be so hard to encapsulate and so sometimes when you see someone put it in a way um that you may have thought before but never put together that eloquently it just it just really hits home and i always love seeing a different take on trying to describe the feeling of love i think that they can all kind of point to something different, definitely something about the the author or the creator's take on it. And this one, I love the idea of sort of like the eternal power of love and how it kind of lives on and all the people that you touch and the people that you love. I, and it's something every person can identify with. And although we may not all have experienced a loved one who has passed away or somebody that we were, you know, a partner or anything like that, but we have all had to move on and that love remains in some way and tucked away, you know, in our past somewhere, right? There has been a time where we have had to move on and it is not eternal, but it does stay with us in a in a way. And obviously in this book, it ends because of a of a death, or there's multiple reasons it ends. But um yeah, that that's really powerful. And um again, the sort of journal work is 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 great. All right, my last best line is, it's a comment whenever there's kind of like this undercurrent of like political activity that's going on throughout the book where they're going out to protest and there's a pride parade and there's just sort of different stuff going on like that. And it was kind of one of these other little moments where Clementine is reckoning with her own sexuality and what it means for her. And also thinking about what it means for Emma. And here she says uh, in her journal, she's just writing as they're cuddling together and there's a gay pride parade going by outside. She said, for Emma, her sexuality is something that draws her to others, a social and political thing. For me, it's the most intimate thing there is. And I think this really, really speaks to the power of how personal our sort of sexuality can be or not personal, and how everybody treats it so differently. And there isn't a right way to be, you know, is it PDA and we're in public kissing um, all the time, or are, or do we only save that for private? And I'm talking queer and straight relationships in that. Is it something where, um, you know, being out and proud is something where you go out to gay bars and that's where you meet your friends and that's where you build your community? Or for Clementine, it's where she didn't know that about herself. And she doesn't go to seek community and being out and proud she has she she has it for one reason and that's Emma to her her sexuality is just this connection and for her maybe being like out and proud and protesting and 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 going to gay bars and all that stuff just isn't her speed and that's okay too there is no sort of one right way to do it because the way we express ourselves is so individual and i thought that line spoke to that so well it's interesting and i i also wonder if it speaks to sort of the tension that their relationship will inevitably have. Because when you have such polar opposite views on something that's so important to your relationship, it seems like there's eventually going to be a, you know, a, a clash. Um, yes. And even though that's not specifically what leads to their breakup, because there's a cheating going on, yes. but it, it definitely seems like something that, you know, can put strain on, on the relationship for sure. Oh, definitely. And and I I think we do actually even see that throughout, right? Where it's um 
Emma, you can just tell she is very sort of introverted the way she kind of, you know, isn't, you know, she's inside, she's journaling, she's doing those things. And Clementine is that. We've all seen those relationships where there is an extrovert and introvert and that tension and push and pull there. So you're absolutely right there. All right, let's move it on to the section of the show called They're the Best at What They Do. This is where we chat about the creators covering how they got started in comics and highlighting their other notable work. This comic is created, written, drawn, and lettered by Jules Merot from northern France. They started Blue is the Warmest Color at the age 19. I already mentioned this, and it took them five years to complete that's a long time and and for good reason. Whenever you're doing art and letters and writing and everything, I mean, that is that is a lot of work and it sounds like they were probably in university at the time or something like that. So um, really cool. I'm just going to list off a couple of the other notable books here. We have Blue is the Warmest Color in 2013, Scandalon in 2013 also, Brahms in 2015, Body Music in 2017. And then the last one I just wanted to call out um, is called You Brought Me the Ocean. And that was, you know, pretty big deal for DC Comics because they've been doing this sort of YA line, young adult line, where they're doing these sort of self-contained, shorter digest size comic books um, that they're putting in the shelves, selling in, you know, bookstores too, like Barnes & Noble and stuff like that. And it was kind of a big deal that they brought Jules Marot in because, I mean, Blue is the Warmest Color is a huge book, and they did a story on Jake Hyde, who I believe is Jackson Hyde. I think it's the son of Black Manta from Aquaman lore, Okay, and and uh, he was estranged from his father, and he eventually becomes Aqualad. So it was kind of this Aqualad story, um, this new Aqualad. And and it was you know very queer centric story and um, these YA books for DC are doing really really well and it just really speaks to you know their pedigree that they bring in these sort of like really sort of indie or artistic and you know French creator like this to do a mainstream book for YA audiences pretty cool that's great more exposure Love that's that. right and. That's going to wrap it up, and le- or that's going to wrap it up for that section of the show. And we're moving over to our favorite section, the Art Awards. This is the segment where we hand out award-specific visual moments in the book. It can be a single panel. It can be the coloring, the lettering, and sometimes it can be a whole scene. Adam, give out the first Art Award of the night. Okay, first Art Award of the night. I went with just kind of, well, a little surprise for you, Blaine. I actually did all my Art Awards tonight in French. So this oh, one boy. is called... Um, Le Classique, which, if you can believe it, it translates to the classic. And uh, it is, it's basically the cover shot of um, Emma, you know, walking down the street and she's turned, she's got her yes. head turned to the side and she's given a side eye view, smirking back, looking right at Clementine. Everything's in um, blue, or, I mean, gray tones, except for her hair, which is blue. That's right. Le Classique. I love that that panel and like, you know, that they use that as the cover for it is just perfect. And it's just a very like memorable shot. Have you ever had that moment in your life, Adam? I don't think so. I, I wish I had, though. Walking through a crowd, you know, someone just catches your eye. It's, it's the woman in the red dress, right? Right. The Matrix. Right. Yeah. What about you? Um, I... I Maybe not like because this is really capturing like love is first at first sight in that scene, which I think it does really well. Not to this degree, obviously, but uh, yeah, I'd say there's moments where there are times whenever you see somebody and you connect, you know, you catch eyes. And I'm a I'm a really I don't know. I have this weird belief about you mentioned like soulmates early on. I think there are just times when it's not necessarily there's one soulmate for for everyone but i think there are just people that have connections and they don't know why and it can span sort of like age sex and everything where you just catch eyes with somebody or you're speaking with somebody i've had moments where i'm talking with somebody and it's just like we are connected and then I may, might just never see them again or you pass by them and it's just over. But I just like, I have that strong feeling where I can sense kind of connections with people. And so mm. I feel like I have had that before. 
You feel deeply. You're you're a real empath. Yes, that's right. I do. I am. <laughs> um, okay, my first art award of the night is called the best sequence, and I love this. And it was captured great in the film as well. And it's completely silent. This is going to be three pages, and it's whenever. Clementine goes out with Valentin to the the gay bars and she is just, you know, out of her depth. She's, you know, not really digging it, hanging out with all these gay men. And she sees these women walk across the street. She's like, hmm, let me follow them. And again, it's all the sequence in gray tones. You see the cobblestone streets. You see them all walk into a bar, the street lamps. The women have their arms around e- over each other's shoulders. She walks across the cobblestones and she goes in. She feels a little bit out of her depth because there's some women in the bar looking at her side-eyed and everything like that. And then in the bottom of the panel, you see a little splash of blue, just a little tiny. It zooms in a little bit and you see more blue. And there's Emma you know, holding court with a crowd of women and she is just making them all laugh. And she leans, Emma leans over and kisses Sabine, her girlfriend at the time, pulls out a smoke in the classic French style, puts it in her mouth and then looks up and sees Clementine who has this great sort of animated like heart explosion, like sort of like motion graphic. That's just like, huh? Like she's like struck in the heart. And then she reaches out to like grab the bar and it has like wobbly hands. Yeah. And it's this is this perfect, like, like boom, like, like, Oh gosh, I saw her again, like moment. And, and I just love that scene from, from those three pages. And again, they, they captured it really well in the film as well. And I really dug that. Real the shot to the heart moment, yeah. Yes, it's a really nice like you. You just feel the character's emotion that whole way, and and to do it all without words is very beautiful. Yeah, and, and then again, the color is just so impactful there because you just get the you just get that blue here, and you know exactly who it is. Love it. All right, my next one. Um, it happened right after this takes place right after Emma and Clementine are discovered by Clementine's parents. They kick Clementine out of the house, and she's pretty young at this point in her life. She's actually 17, she says, when she gets kicked out of the house. And um, so this next page has a bunch of panels, and basically she's saying, you know, I had to grow up faster than I expected. And we see kind of she's meeting Emma's parents. It's her and Emma spending time together. She's going to school. As this is happening, there's some different colors starting to seep in. There's a little orange here like blaine had talked about down in the bottom little flash of green and there are these small panels you know there's maybe 15 panels but in the middle of all of them much bigger and kind of laying on top of all of them is a curled up clementine who's naked curled up in the fetal position and this is just your real this is a very literal coming of age panel, and that's why I'm giving this award the Devonir Majeur, which means coming of age in French. <laughs> I love it. I, there's a couple of those pages like that um, where it starts to go into the almost dreamlike state. You know what I mean? Where yeah. you sort of see like the again time or hands like grasping and all the panels are swirling and stuff. And I love those moments. They they those are so powerful. And it, yeah, I talked about that whenever with the colors start to seep in. It was fantastic. Well, fantastique. Fantastique. Um my next art award is the best use of blue. There's a lot of blue in this comic, and this is the best. This takes place after Clementine and Emma have their sort of glance on the street that that Adam mentioned. And then after she has had her first kiss with the other girl, where they just have that little, you know, kind of kiss as two schoolgirls on the, um, you know, outside of them, the steps. And she's having a dream and she's sleeping. And it's kind of a, the first sexual moment that she has. And she's just laying there and you see her body. And you see these hands reach in. There's a hand on her shoulder and then a hand on her breast and reaching up her shirt. And the hands are blue. They're like dripping, dripping blue. So you know whose hands they are. And they start, you know, reaching below her waistband on her pants. And that's when she wakes up and it's like, ah. And um, the way the blue is done, and it's all like we talk about like the gray washes in this and the the blue watercolor. And I just love how the color is actually just illustrated on the page. I thought it was just really effective and really nice there. 
Great use of color. And that leads perfectly into my next one, which is l'âge vert, which means the green period, because it starts to shift. Um, there's lots of grays. You know, most of this story is told in a lot of grays, and then we get some blues, obviously. But there was this point where later on in the story, I had just realized that everything had become green. And it kind of happened subtly where I looked at the page and thought like, oh, wow, it's all green now. And after I flipped back a few pages to check, I could see the progression. But it just kind of hits you that like, this is different now. This is a different point in their lives. And it's it starts out subtly and then it kind of comes in very directly. Um, the page that I chose, there's several that kind of get really green. But the reason that this period is so different is because Clementine is now in the hospital. Um, it's gone from their kind of, you know, their beautiful love story to sort of a very real and painful end of the story, I guess. Um, and so there's, you know, there's a scene where Clementine in, is in the bed and Emma is, uh, you know, right next to her in the hospital. They're sitting there with Clementine's mother. Emma's looking scared. There's just lots of scared hospital work, but it's all in these green tones that are incredible. And that's why I gave it the Lage Vert. Ver. I don't know. Someone help me with the pronunciation, but it's the green age. Love it. Um, and I love what you mentioned about Picasso's sort of color periods. I, um, I don't know. Did he have a green period? But either way, I I, I love I think that he had it, a gray period. I believe blue and gray. I, I think sounds right. Um, okay, my next and last art award is the best use of hands. Um, I noticed throughout this that Jules loves to illustrate hands, just them touching, rubbing through hair, and doing all these um, sort of things like that. The really great sort of... Hands are really hard to draw, Adam. I don't know if you've ever drawn a hand before, but it's one of the harder things to draw. And it's the moment whenever um, her friends have rejected Clementine, and she is really down in the dumps. She's like, what have I done? You know, is this it? Do I say goodbye to them? Is this... Do I have to become a lesbian now? Is this is this my fate? Is this sort of what I've chosen? I don't know what to do. She's having all these sort of coming out sort of guilt and sort of a, it wasn't my choice and all these, the way it happened and all these things. And they're sitting in this bar together and Emma is, you know, again, reaching in her, in her hair. And then there's this one panel where there's this entangling of like, five different pairs of hands and it's both their hands just really coming together to hold each other and um you know sort of caress each other and make sure they feel safe and i just love that that panel is it's abstract because there's so many pairs of hands there and it just sort of tells that this is this is sort of how they connect and those hands sort of holding was just a a visual moment that is displayed over and over in this book that i loved yeah there's definitely a strong theme with hands and kind of the i don't know is it the power of touch i'm not sure if i'd go that far but it is it's a very strong um image absolutely all right let's move it on over to adaptation alley let's stroll down the alley to talk about the film we've touched on it a whole bunch you've been waiting since the opening of the show let's get into it adam kick it off Tell us about the adaptation and take us down the alley. All right, let's just set the stage a little bit for the sort of um, the relevance that it had. Basically, blue is the warmest color, had an adaptation. Let me check the year. 2013 is when it came out. It was directed by a gentleman named Abdelif Kachiche, and it stars Lea Seydoux as Emma, and they changed the name of Clementine, um, and it's named after the lead actress, Adele. I think her last name is pronounced Exarchopolis. I'm pretty sure she's got some Greek heritage, but first name's Adele, and that's what they changed her character's name to. And this movie uh, won the highest award at the Cannes Film Festival that year. Cannes is kind of a really big film festival. For people who don't know, it's in France, and it's where a lot of big movies are premiered for the first time, and there's this award called the Palme d'Or, which is basically kind of like the best film, and um, it's usually given to the director. This movie won the Palme d'Or, but for the first time, they recognized the director and both of the lead actresses. They've never recognized the actors before, but they thought that they were so important to this movie that they recognized them. Um, 
Another interesting little tidbit about that, Khan, one of the people on that uh, jury was um, Steven Spielberg. So came with like some people, some very high, you know, pedigree people really like this. But it was also really controversial because it has some very intense and pretty graphic sex scenes, um, long, really long, like 20 minute graphic sex scenes uh, that obviously were really controversial. And there's a lot of controversy for many reasons. There's, you know, some things about the director and the way that he sort of operated the set. Um, but really one of the biggest critiques was that this film, a lot of people, and this is something that Jules Moreau came out and said after the fact is, is that it seemed like the main thing that was missing was lesbians and watching it personally, I kind of felt like there was very little lesbian. Yeah, absolutely. Like a very low lesbian presence on this, where to me, it felt like it was from a hetero lens and, the love scenes, I was really thrown off by, I mean, I didn't really know that there were some really intense sex scenes in this. I didn't really do any research into it. Um, and I, I just felt like they took me out of it. And I was just, I thought that they were sort of sensualizing, you know, this, this love that, um, it was making it, it was just changing the, the tone of the story and, taking away sort of sort of like i don't know i I don't know exactly how to say it but it it almost like trivializes the actual love and connection between them because it's just played for effect the the sexualization of their love when the story the graphic novel i really got so much of a better sense for their actual relationship but without to just like you know completely do a monologue here and let you get in could could you tell us what what did, what did you think about it? You just watched this movie, so let's just start there. What did you think about it, Blaine? Literally just watched it, and I will say I watched it in like three different chunks each an hour because this movie is three hours long, so you yep. really got to buckle in. And It's in French. I really, really liked it. <laughs> I, I really liked it a lot. And I was like telling Kate, I was like, man – I haven't seen like a European film in so long and it's so nice to just see like people like a like a love story that's not like a comedy, that's not a genre film, it's not a sci-fi, it's not superheroes, it's not whatever. It's just like I am just seeing a just love story and I hadn't seen that in so long. I said that in the first like half of the movie because I think the first half of the movie follows the comic really closely. Um the second half veers off quite a bit, um, and I think some things didn't work as well for me there. But just to touch on what you've already talked about, which is some of those sex scenes, um, I knew that ahead of time, and because I think I just remember it being in the cultural consciousness because it was NC seventeen. This is, you know, whenever it came out, it was like I just remember it being a thing. It was like eyes wide shut when it was a thing, right? It's just like I just knew about it. Um, but where eyes wide shut makes sense because he's like visiting a sort of um you know underground like sex thing this did not to your point absolutely and to many people that have made this point did not make any sense it really took me out in a really weird way because it's this very tender sort of love where um Adele in the film is discovering sort of you know a female love for the first time and you know, you think about your first time sort of like fooling around and experimenting with someone. The first times are kind of like, hey, how's this? Is this okay? <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like trying to figure it out and trying to like, like uh, they're 17 year olds, right? And maybe, in, you know, in France, they're a little bit more mature and sexually, you know, active, but like they are just go, they, I mean, it is like full on porn, for like you mentioned, like like a bit, and I was like, whoa! Like like it goes from love to porn. You know what I mean? Like it really jumps that line really fast. And at first, when the sex scene started, I was like, okay, okay, here we go. This is the sex scene I remember hearing them talking about. And then it was just like you look down at your watch and you're like, 
still <laughs> like like this is unnecessary it's really unnecessary so i i felt that i mean it did feel pretty gratuitous you know around minute 15 or so um and i thought that there was this one scene later on and this is not you know i read someone kind of making this connection i didn't come up with this thought myself but i really thought it it had a lot of of um merit to it but there is a scene at a dinner party where this male character is talking about uh, uh, the female orgasm essentially and how yes. it's this like mystical thing. And that's, I think that's sort of like a direct applicate, like a direct view of this, the way that he um, portrays sex in this and sort of like fetishizing this, this woman on woman love that he, he can't understand. So he just makes it this sort of unbelievable thing that is unobtainable really, because it's like, this is, not real life like you know it just doesn't feel real and um yeah it just took me out of it in ways that i just didn't think were necessary and i i think you pretty much nailed it the beginning of the movie where it follows the book i think works really well he does he has some amazing work uh especially that scene where her friends are you know you know outing her and they're all oh, yelling at her it's yeah. so heartbreaking and her one friend that like had had you know an innocent kiss with won't stand up or do anything. She doesn't want to be ostracized, and they're so mean to her. They're so venomous, and there was just something so real about it, and so real about her heartbreak and her kind of panic and and you know shock and not knowing how to even respond to these accusations uh, was just so so powerful. But then the changes that he made. Um, I don't understand the point at really, because it seemed like, like Adele didn't really grow or learn anything because she was still in love with her at the end. I guess just the only thing she really realized at the end is Emma's not going to be with me. So I just have to go my opposite way. And it, you know, it, but it, it, it doesn't really feel that way. That's kind of giving it the film more credit than I think it even makes that statement itself. It just kind of ends and uh, I don't know. I think I think he wanted to leave it open ended so that he could potentially continue the story. And he he had the director had mentioned maybe doing a follow up of of Adele. But yeah, I do think it works really well where it follows the graphic novel and then where it goes off on its own, it works less successfully. The yeah, I mean the lead actress um, Adele um, is absolutely incredible, and I love Leah Seydoux, but. Um, I thought Adele was just remarkable, just so good. And I saw, I saw whenever I was just reading the Wikipedia, it said I think they shot over 800 minutes of footage. And you can just tell how much the camera sort of just lingers on the actors while they're walking, getting on a bus, teaching school, just all these little moments of humanity and these little moments of mundane life and the way that sort of a lover brightens that life, right? And brings yeah. sort of like the way when they're in the park together and staring each other's eyes and just talking and having these goofy conversations where it's just like you're trying to have a conversation, but all you can really think about is what, how you want to kiss the other person or like touch them or whatever it is. And so they're just these like quirky conversations and they're being like silly. And I just love that stuff. And um, I love those really sort of humanistic moments. And, you know, not to, you know, belabor the sex thing too much, because I think a lot of times sex scenes are rarely realistic in films. Sure. <laughs> like, like, because there's there, there's rarely a time where I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it's like. Like it, it's it really is not portrayed well in a lot of things, and I think it's really interesting because the graphic nature of actually showing them naked without like you know they always do it in movies where the woman has like the sheet up over her like when she's talking in the morning. It's like nobody has a nobody has a sheet up when they're talking. That takes me out of it too. You know what I mean? And and that's for that's for the sake of the actors and the actresses um in other films. So I think it's this weird line of like it is showing the intimate nature of it, but then because the rest of the movie is so realistic and so human 
then it, it sort of it like jumps the shark in a weird way where it, it turns it, the tone just completely gets set off. But I wanted to talk about that sort of like the human tone of it just because you know, I mean, Adam, we're joking about it's definitely a French film. You're gonna see, <laughs> see children playing on a playground, and you're gonna see like these like shots of her just like looking out the window on the bus, like thinking about <laughs> just thinking. You know, no dialogue scenes, and um, I just love that stuff. And the big change that Adam mentioned is uh, the lead character does not die, so there isn't this sort of finality to the relationship. It's not the same finality of a death that puts a massive punctuation mark that you can never come back from. Um, so it, she tries to reconcile, and in the book, in the comic, whenever they actually do seem to have some sort of uh, reconciliation after 10 years and sort of get together right before her death, in this, they don't. And in this one, Emma has moved on. She has a relationship um, and even has a, you know, pseudo daughter as well, who she is, you know, caring for. So it was interesting. I, I It was, it was tough. It was still, you know, pretty heartbreaking. Um one of the things that also rubbed me the wrong way is after she cheated, the way the Emma character was like really being like, oh, she was so mean. She was so mean, and I get it, but like I feel like when you're calling somebody a slut and a whore, it's almost like you almost can't come back from that either. It's like you you start to like really like be really hardcore, and I get you feel those things, and you might think that, but um, that was tough. That was a tough scene. That was a tough scene, and yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it is kind of open-ended, though, and, you know, maybe now that I'm just thinking about it, sometimes only one side of the story really gets resolved, and the other person is just kind of walking down the street trying to figure it out still, so there is something really interesting about that that choice. I think, you know, I don't want to just disparage the entire thing, because I do think there's a lot of if you're going to read this graphic novel, you should absolutely watch this movie. There's a lot of value in the two as companion pieces, like we said. Um, And yeah, the casting is great. Spot on. I love how kind of like real and gross a lot of it is. You know, she's like snotty. She's crying. Her hair is a mess all the time. I love her hair. (laughs) Yeah. I love her hair so much. She's like eating food and has like just like spaghetti sauce sauce on her face. Yes. (laughs) Like a kid. She like, she looks like her face is dirty and stuff. It is. It is. And and I love that. I thought there were some really nice aspects where it seemed like he really took a lot of things from Uh the, the, the story from the graphic novel and, you know, and translated them really well and then added some other stuff too. I also liked kind of how he was adding sort of the, um, the sensuality of food and, you know, like eating was really connected to, to re- sexuality. Like it really made me want some oysters. Yeah. I really wanted some oysters and I really wanted to eat some uh, spaghetti bolognese. Like it oh, looks yeah. so good. And they, there's always talking about how good it is. God, I got to give me some of that spaghetti. You got to get some spaghetti, get some oysters. Yeah. And so I think that there were definitely a lot of successes to that film, even though, you know, room for improvement. But and but but I I will say, though, that like I kind of in a weird way like that there wasn't sort of a death because the the opening of the graphic novel on on the lead character has died really puts a pallor across the whole thing. The whole project you were reading with, how is she going to die? Does she get cancer? Does she get sick? Like, like what? It, you're, you're constantly thinking, I'm reading a tragedy. Right. You're, you're just from the get-go, this is a tragedy. Whereas in the movie, I think you start, you can start fresh and you can start with hope. And yes, although some of it ends in a tragedy, I would argue that it's also kind of, I don't know. It just seems more real because we've all been there where you have to mo- you have to move on for some for some reason the love didn't work out. Yeah. And now you have to go your separate ways. The path like the, there was some stuff in just in the middle that I was like cut all of this. But I thought the end kind of worked um pretty well pretty well for me. So I I don't know. I I quite like the film. Honestly saying it out loud now I think the end I do like a little bit more because that that sort of yeah that um unfinished nature and sort of unresolved We've all thing, been there. It, it, that Gosh, is very very true thing. So maybe room for both endings because as much as I loved Jules ending in the graphic novel, you know, picked it from a best lines, 
I, I, this, this does work in its own way too. It, yeah. Th- there's a romanticism and a, uh, of like, you know, love through death. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it cr- it's a, it's a different story. It, it's hard to sort of comp- say one's like better. They're, they're like, it's a total different story whenever there is a death because the way the love is ended is final. There is no, there is completely final. Well, I, I got um, one question. Hit me. Was there enough blue in it? I would say no. I, I agree. Not I, enough yeah. blue. <laughs> there was not enough blue because um, I could see, you know, like in the graphic novel, Emma changes her hair from blue to blonde, you know, about halfway through her time being on screen, but just not enough blue. She's wearing blue a little bit in the very end. They're both wearing blue dresses. The blue dress at the that end is great. Is, nice. very, is great, very but there is not enough blue. I completely agree with you. All right, more blue. More blue, and um, again, the sort of like philosophy of just the way they talk. I'm like, I want to hang out with people that that can talk about like, like I was like, where? <laughs> I mean, we have a podcast where we talk about superheroes, Adam. Yeah, you know I was going to say, we're going to change our reading to uh, some more philosophical. We're changing. Co- All right, no more comic club. This is philosophy club, everybody. Philosophy club now, guys. Yes, and- so... Next up, we have um, Adam. Who are we reading next? Descartes. We're gonna, yeah, we got Descartes, and then we're gonna do a little Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yep, um, existentialism, you know, existentialism, yeah. transcendentalism. We're gonna try to hit all the isms we can get. That's right. So stay tuned for that. And in fact, you know what? Let's wrap this puppy up. This is a great convo, Adam. Um, I love it whenever there is a film and an adaptation that we can also talk about. So that was a lot of fun. Um, you can, if you enjoyed today's episode, go like and leave a review and go tell a friend about our show. We are Comic Club Podcast across the internet. You can follow me at Blaine McGaff on Twitter. I'm Danger Adam on Instagram. And that's going to wrap it up for this show. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Adam. Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend. Follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.